the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Well, I hope you had a great day at church yesterday thinking about Palm Sunday, the day that the Lord rode into Jerusalem triumphantly, and yet just a short time thereafter they would be shouting, Crucify Him, Crucify Him. And this week is a very special week on exploring the Word, and we're in Mark. We're in the New Testament Gospel of Mark chapter 9, but, you know, Bert, the, the world commemorates what we call Holy Week how Jesus, in fulfillment of prophecy, but in love, in his willingness to lay down his life so that we could be redeemed, ultimately Christ would go to the cross and be nailed to Calvary's cross, and our sin debt would be paid such that whoever puts their faith in Jesus can be forgiven and saved. And I I really do think uh, this is the, the week we commemorate the greatest moment in world history thus far. Now, I think it'll be surpassed on that great moment when Christ returns, but um, this is a very important week for the most crucial thing that could ever happen, the the plan of salvation to be purchased by our Lord. It's very special, isn't it? Hallelujah. What a Savior. That is it. Nobody else could have done what he did, and no one would be willing to do what he did. And so we're thankful for that. And this week, I just pray that people would think of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to look at that, look through either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or read all three, and you'll find out some things he did on this day on Monday, what he did on Tuesday, Wednesday is probably, far as he was a rest day, but Judas's carrot probably made his deal on that day. Thursday was the Lord's Supper, then Friday was the cross, Saturday was waiting, and then on that Sunday morning, hallelujah, he arose, up from the grave he arose. Amen. He's a Savior like no other, and every other comes short of anything that God could do. He's the one that completes the task, Alex. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, you know, I, I just think it's providential how we've been going through the Gospel of Mark at this time. And um, we're in chapter 9, and we're going to pick up, Bert, um, I believe we pick up at verse 14. Is that what you That is right. Now, what happened in 9, 1 through 13, we took a lot of time there because that's the transfiguration of Christ, where his glory came through Uh, It was veiled. It's hard to use the words that you can, but I think using the word veil, like the veil that was rent into, uh, that veil, quote, was rent into, and his glory, the Shekinah glory of Christ, was shown. So, Alex, Mm -hmm. that's what we covered on Thursday. And so today we're in verse 14. So, uh, you know, three of the disciples were with him. Three of the apostles were with him. So he comes back in verse 14, and it says, when he came to the disciples, you could add with understanding. I'm not saying you should add that to the Word of God, but in your understanding, add when he came to the other disciples, those other uh, that were left there, those nine, he mm-hmm. was saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with him. Immediately yes. when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. Now, this time it's kind of different, not only just because of he can heal, but also kind of so he can settle this debate that they're having, Alex. Well, you get the impression there in verse 15 that they were interrogating, the scribes were interrogating Jesus' followers. Don't you get that feeling? That's exactly what I think, yes. And what's interesting is in verse 16, uh, Jesus asked the scribes, uh, you know, what are you questioning them about? And then right away, there's a man who says, I've, I've brought my son who is really demon-possessed. And for the rest of the chapter, um, you've got the deliverance of a young person from a demon. Uh, and you, um, you know, these scribes that were interrogating the disciples, once Christ got there, they got quiet real quick, didn't they? I mean, you don't hear a lot more out of them, do you? Uh, that is, uh, Jesus' presence makes the difference uh, yes. here and in our lives. And, and it's made, like you said, teacher, this, my child is, is a, has a mute spirit. And this is, this is very descriptive, verse 18, when, whenever he, 
That's talking about the demon spirit. When that demon spirit seizes him, he throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. Mm. Now, Alex, uh, this gets Jesus' attention when he hears they cannot. And he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, Alex, is this a reprimand for these nine disciples that were kind of, they, they were floundering, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one <laughs> of the keys to understanding this is verse 29, how some things are accomplished only by prayer and fasting. And there was a level of spiritual maturity and spiritual power that really it's not just the it's not something the flesh can accomplish and and that's why let me just say parenthetically um over the weekend i had the great privilege of being at an afa event uh in alabama and there was a lot of talk about this the state of our nation and what we might do to see a revival in our nation and a saving of our constitution and you know a lot of conversation like that and we had a great time talking with Stephen McDowell and Abe Hamilton and a lot of wonderful people. And we were just talking about, you know, we're, we're in a time of um, spiritual warfare that's going to take prayer and fasting and, and really um, a spiritual power that can only come from deep, deep times with the Lord. And to your question in verse 19, you know, I believe that this is a reminder that spiritual victory can only come about with the power of God. The, the Bible says the flesh profiteth nothing. And Bert, maybe, let me just say this, and you feel free to agree or disagree, but when America was a, a lot more Christian, uh, it was easy to be a Christian because it really didn't require getting out of your comfort zone a whole lot. But we're to the point right now, if you're going to be really serious for the Lord and you're going to reclaim lost ground in the name of Jesus, it's going to take a commitment level and a courage level that we've not seen before. Would you agree? I would agree. I, I want to go back in history, the 70s. Uh, you know, there, Jerry Falwell, one, uh, uh, you know, he influenced you and Angie in a great deal. You went to school Excuse there. Me. Angie got to know him really well and you as well. But he started what it was called the Moral Majority. With all my heart, I don't think he can start that right now. Uh, uh, you know, mm. uh, I'm not sure it's even 50-50. I, I'll just be frank with you. I I understand, but seems like, and, and I don't say this just observation. I say this biblically. In the latter days, it will get worse and worse. Now, what makes it worse? It's people who are given over to, to their evil, to their sin, to their sinful nature, to Satan, to the world system, and it seems like more and more and more. They robbed the entertainment industry a long time ago. They've got the educational system, by and large, nationally under their thumb. They have now corporate America agreeing with them where they would have, uh, I hate to say it, transgender person selling beer. Now, how do you like that combination? Isn't that some combination that's going uh, well, on? Well, thank you for helping me make my decision. Uh you know, I, I I don't I wouldn't buy beer anyway, and certainly never that brand. And and so the whole idea here, but verse nineteen, I want to get back to it because here's the hopeful part. Yes, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? I, with all my heart, I think you could say that about every generation to an extent, and I think it's even greater today. But the last part is always true. Bring him to me. Bring mm -hmm. it to Jesus. Bring your hopes to Jesus. Bring your hurts to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. What a statement, Alex. He mm. said, bring him to me. Uh, what do you want to do with the issues you're faced with, Alex? Uh, I want to bring it to Jesus. Amen. And that way I can get some help and some resolution. Uh, very, You do see, even in the midst of a spiritual battle, and of course there's going to be spiritual victory, but you see the compassion of Jesus. This uh, boy is being Amen. thrown on the ground. He's demon-possessed. How long has he been this way? Uh, Jesus asked the Father since he was a child, and oftentimes it's cast him into the fire and to, tried to destroy him. And if you can do anything, have compassion 
and help us. Now, here's the thing. Let me say we've lived in a time of cutting and self-harm, and I see all these piercings and uh, implants and people just disfiguring themselves. It's so sad. I want to say that Satan has always been about defacing the human person. It's like Ravi uh, Zacharias wrote a book once called Shattered Visage, uh, the, the visage of those made in God's image. Satan is about destroying human beings. So Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the, they cry out, the Father says, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Bert, I think verse 24 is a very tender verse, don't you? It is, and it's an honest one, okay? Yeah. Uh, some, I, I'm, I, this be critical. I've, I've talked to some people sometimes, and honestly, their faith sounds fake. Uh, they, mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, God's, God's done it. God can do it, yeah. And I know they're saying the right words, but listen, God looks at the heart anyway, and he knew what this man was thinking, and yeah. he comes across straight. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I, yeah. I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe you could do something. But at yeah. the same time, Lord, I, it's I've been at it so long. It's done so, this. This has occurred so many times. I've re, I've seen so much damage. Lord, uh, it's hard. It's hard to believe it will change. Mm-hmm. Alex, I think it's awesome. One of the I'll put it this way: I think it's one of the greatest statements man has ever made. Uh, yes. Because I think it's reality of where we are, especially those people that have gone through trial and years of difficulty, heartache, waiting on relationships to get better, waiting on the health to turn around, and and there's this hopelessness, but there's that hope. They do they fight against one another sometimes, Alex. Well, yeah, I think they do sometimes fight against one another. And, you know, I think there's times, look, we can all grow in our faith. And one beautiful thing, nobody's ever going to get to heaven and be reprimanded for having trusted God too much. (laughs) Look, you can't over-trust the Lord. Believe God for big things. Uh, Pray uh, to God for great things. That sounds like William Carey, Alex. Amen. Attempt great things for God. Amen. Believe great things from God. Yeah. We're going to come back. Uh, there's a lot more to this story, and Bert, I think it applies to us today. Amen. I agree with you. We're going to come back and go through the rest of Mark chapter 9. We hope you'll join us. Call someone and tell them to join us as well. This is Pause to Pray. A chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders of Arkansas. She is the former White House press secretary and has served as governor since January. Proverbs 16.3 reminds us of the character and conduct we seek in our leaders. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders as she leads the people of Arkansas each day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Will becoming a Christian make you happy? Dr. Tony Evans says yes, but that's not the point. What is? We'll find out as we turn to 2 Corinthians 5 and spend two minutes with Tony. He died for all that those who live should no longer live to themselves, verse 15, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. God died for you and saved you that you might no longer live for you. Now that's deep. Because we live in the me generation. I live for me. You live for for you. Uh, Am I happy? This is the big one. I'm not happy. Well, twiddly-dee, twiddly-dee. Okay? Here's the line we get with married couples. I'm not happy anymore in this relationship. And then it gets spiritual. God doesn't want me unhappy. Okay? This is called a syllogism. God doesn't want me unhappy, therefore, 
it must be the will of God for me to leave this relationship. Not. Your happiness is really not his first concern. He saved you to make him happy. He saved you according to this verse that you might live for him, that you might please him. And if we could get Christians to begin living for him, then he would become your happiness. He would become your joy. But because we're fighting for our own joy, we don't get his joy, so we're only as joyful as we can continue making ourselves joyful. But if we live for him, if his glory is more important than our happiness, then we will know real happiness. Learn how to build your life on a bedrock of full-out commitment to Jesus. Check out Tony's CD series, Pursuing Christ, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Matthew 19, 14. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I know you can Save through the fire with your mighty hand But even if you don't My hope is you alone Amen. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you for returning with us. And if you're just now joining us, we're in Mark chapter 9. And uh, Alex, uh, you've been talking about trying to relate this to our day, and I think it does as, as this young man got worse and worse and just so much couldn't do anything with him. And we talk about our generation being difficult. Uh, you and I, we quote people quite often, and one of my favorite authors is a man called Alan Redpath. I tell mm. people all the time, if you can find any of Alan Redpath's books, buy it let, and read yeah. it. Like, yeah. I'm going to tell you, he said this concerning the church and, and what it deals with. I think it applies to society, to family. While we are killing mice, the lions are t- taking the land, you know? And, yeah, and, yeah, and exactly. what happens if we get caught up on the little things in churches, we get caught up. Oh, the color of the carpet. We get caught up on what, what time should we start? Isn't 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock holy? Isn't that mm. the holy hour, you know? Yeah. And, and what should come first, Bible study or the worship? You know, should we sing this kind of songs or that kind of songs? And, and I, with all my heart, we need to get to the business of sharing the Word of God. Here's what Jesus told Peter to do. Feed my sheep. What do we feed the sheep? The Word of God. So all of you are out there who are pastors, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, whatever you are, chaplains, and, and fathers and mothers, share the Word of God. So that's what we try to do on Exploring the Word And here, let me share this as we get back to chapter 9, and it says Jesus commanded, listen to this, about that spirit, that unclean spirit. I love these words. You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Now, what a powerful, deaf and dumb spirit. He identifies the spirit. He knows who it is. He, he's in charge. He commanded that spirit, spoke to that spirit, told him what to do, and to, I love that last, enter him no more. Amen. That's Amen. deliverance with a plus, Alex. Well, it is. And you know what? I mean, look at this in verse 25, like you're saying. Okay, first of all, Jesus identifies the problem, and it is a satanic spirit, a demon. Then he uh, demands the spirit leave, and then... Uh, you know, in email and cell phones, you can block a contact uh, <laughs> where they can't bother you anymore. He says, you know, you can't enter this person anymore. Now, again, before the break, I was talking about the prayer and fasting. Uh, the boy, you know, is delivered and he falls like he's dead. And some people said he is dead. Jesus took the boy by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. 
And then after the drama of this, and it's a victory, this young child's been delivered, the prayers of a father were answered, the power of Jesus was manifested. But the disciples ask him, why couldn't we do this? And, and we don't have a record of how they prayed or commanded or whatever. But Jesus said, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Bert, there are some things that, that I know, let, let me just say this, um, we've had miracles done, we've had needs provided, we've had unsaved people, uh, you know, one time a lady in a coma, she was unsaved, and we fasted and prayed, and she woke up out of the coma, and her brother led her to Christ, about two days later, she went back in a coma and died, but I felt like her eternity was almost like a jump ball, and we were fighting for her soul, all right, they say right now 345,000 pastors are speaking to 80 million adults every week. Bert, I've got to believe if we, the church, once again harnessed the spiritual power in the name of Jesus that really is at our disposal, if, if pastors would preach, uh, if we would fast and pray, I honestly think a revival could come to our nation in a matter of weeks, if not days. But we've got to be honest, just like Jesus identified this deaf and dumb, this dumb spirit. Um, we are in a battle. It is a battle of darkness versus light. It's a battle of the, for the future of our country. And it's really a battle about whether or not we can freely live for Jesus and share Jesus. And uh, I don't mean to be doom and gloom because we're on the victory side. But um, it's time we've got to realize that we're in a spiritual battle. It is. Good, good point. Now, after this happens, then, verse 30, you always look in the book of Mark immediately, uh, then uh, they went. Now, where they've been, they've up been close to Caesarea Philippi. Uh, that's where all this, a lot of this t- took place about Jesus asking them and different things. They're in even the most northern part of Galilee. And so then they departed from there and passed through Galilee and did not want anyone to know it. At this point in time, uh, he's trying to train these disciples. He found out they need time with me, and they need this, for he taught his disciples. Now, here's what he taught them. The Son of Man, verse 31, you need to highlight it, mark it, put an asterisk by it. This is the second time in Mark that we have him doing this. He did it earlier in chapter 8 when when he talked about him going to to Jerusalem and going to suffer many things. And here he says, the Son of Man is being delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. Now, that's his. That's the second time in Mark that he makes this known. These are in the last few weeks of Jesus' ministry. We're not talking about years. We're talking about weeks before he comes to Jerusalem. But they did not understand, thus saying, and were afraid to ask him. Now, Alex, after Jesus said that, don't you think they'd be talking about Jesus? Man, can you believe he's going to do this? Can you believe that that he's going to suffer? No, that's not what they talk about. Verse 33, then mm. he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you were disputing among yourselves on the road? And they kept silent, for on the road they were disputing among mm. themselves who would be the greatest. Lord help us. That, that, yeah, I bet they did hold their peace because wouldn't that have been embarrassing? I bet. I mean, here now you got to combine this with what he's just taught them. He's yeah. just taught them what he is going to do and how it's going to come about, and they ignore that. They put that aside because they can't completely understand it. But they talk, start talking about which one of them was the most important. Uh, wow! 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 And after verse 31, where he had said, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. You know, let me just say this. Um, If Jesus could overpower demons and Satan himself, and he could, I'm sure Jesus could overpower a few puny human beings. But he allowed himself to be nailed to the cross because he would rise from the dead. So here's this convicting thing. Hey, what were you guys talking about along the road? For Jesus knew they were arguing who's the greatest. And he sat down, verse 35, and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desires to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. 
Bert, it's almost like this, and I think this is a convicting word for our day. Uh, it's almost like the Lord is saying, listen up, guys. Since you guys are concerned about who's going to be the greatest, I'm going to tell you how to do it. Here's how to be the greatest. And it's, he's going to restate this in Mark 10, 44. He who would be the greatest among you will be the servant of all. But he says in verse 35 of Mark 9, you know, uh, you want to be first, then be willing to be last. And by the way, the economy of greatness in God's world is very much different than it is in the eyes of this fallen planet. But he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Bert, um, not childish, but childlike. And there's a lot we could say about what it means to be childlike. That's all part of being great in God's kingdom, isn't it? It is. Now, here's something. Jesus, we believe, and I think it is greatly li- great likely that he spoke in Aramaic. He did not speak uh, in Greek. It was written in Greek, and he did not necessarily always speak Hebrew, but it was he spoke. Aramaic was the language spoken in that day. In the Aramaic language, the word servant and child are the same word. Now, that that is amazing, Alex, that those are the same words, and you have to figure out which it is in the context of which that is. And so here Jesus is telling them their position, and our position is always under him. Our position is always servant. Our position is always there, and that is the greatest position that we as followers can have. The greatest position a follower of Jesus Christ has is a servant. Alex, that is it. Jesus came not to be served, but to do what? Serve. And that's, and we're, we're, the Bible says we're to be like him. Listen, that means we're to serve. We're to serve one another. Yeah. Yeah. We really are. Uh, In verse 38, we might get a little bit of insight into why they were unable to cast the demon out of that little boy because they were so busy rebuking somebody that was not of their camp. John answered him saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in your name, and he followeth not us, and we forbade him because he followeth not us. In other words, he wasn't in the same denomination as us. And so we, uh, don't worry, Lord, we rebuked him. And Jesus says, uh, no, verse 39, forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is on our part or with us. In other words, look, it doesn't just have to be my camp or my denomination. Um, Dale Moody said, any friend of Jesus should be a friend of mine. And uh, I, boy, if if ever... There's a lesson for us in verses 38 and 39. Uh, there it is. Uh, we need unity in the body of Christ, don't we, Bert? We do. Now, what does this say about competition? Now, again, I, I'm challenged by others that are doing great things of God, but I'm not to enter into competition with them. I pastored in the same church for 28 years, and we had some of the greatest churches that the, in, in our town that I, I love. I love their pastors. And, and, and ever so often there'd be something. It would challenge me to look at me as the pastor. What am I doing? What's my vision? What are they doing? Not in competition, not in competition, but in looking at my responsibilities. Am I to do that? Not to enter into them. I need to do the same thing they're doing. No, I need to do what God tells me to do, but I should be encouraged by that and not in competition. Let me say one more thing about this, I, this word, John, here is, I, I think he's saying, okay, you've gotten on to us one time about what we're doing, but let me tell you what we did on the positive side. Mm. <laughs> you catch what yeah. I'm saying? Amen. Jesus had gotten on to him. Well, I know we hadn't done that, Jesus, but look what we have done. We forbade him. And here, uh, listen, it was usually Peter that put his foot in his mouth, but this time... <laughs> It's it's the beloved one, John, Alex. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's really true. That's really true. And 
let me say, in the verses that follow, after verse 40, for he that is not against us is, is with us, or is on our part. And this is also reiterated in Matthew 12. Then he goes on, and he talks about some different ways to sin. Uh, offending one of these little ones. Or if your hand offends you or causes you to sin, cut it off. And he, he repeats some things about hell. He says it's better, you know, to go into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell where the fire is not quenched, that shall never be quenched, where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. By the way, the eternality of hell is is repeated here many times in 44 and 46 and 48. Now, all right, whether it's sinning against a child or somebody weaker, your hand causing you to do something, cutting off your foot that might cause you to go somewhere, or your eye, stuff you see. Um, basically, I think the Lord is telling us to comprehensively uh, deal with whatever could cause us to sin. Our thoughts, our motives, our actions, uh, where we go, what our priorities are. I mean, whether it's your hands, your feet, your eyes, your mind, uh, whatever is that thing that jeopardizes your soul for all of eternity, you got to deal with that. Amen, Alex. Now, let's talk about the word hell. Here, it's a different word in different places. Here, it is Gehenna. Uh, the Valley of Hinnon. It was the place uh, in the past where children were offered as a sacrifice, uh, but it was a place of a garbage heap. It was where it was trashed. It was there where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. It was always smoldering. It was always burning. And underneath, you had all the things that go in a garbage heap, all those insects, the worms underneath that's eating away at those things that's been thrown on the garbage heap. What a description this is. And he uses those words. It makes this hell that, that he referred to is a real place. And he, he repeats this three times. Whatever it is that's keeping an individual from coming to, to Jesus Christ, it is not worth it. Pluck it out, cut it off, throw it away. Come out from among them and be and come to Christ. That's our goal for you today. Come out of your ways and come to God's ways. Let him save you as you repent and ask him to come into your life. Well, we're Amen. going to take phone calls in this next segment. That number is 888-589-8840. Forget about Facebook. The last 10 days we've been banned twice and is unbanning a word. They put us under the ban. Christians and conservatives don't need your YouTube. Banned one day, banned again. AFR programs are now live streaming on the AFA streaming app. Now you can get shows like today's issues straight from the source. Put back on the next. Just say unbanned. Unbanned. Just search AFA streaming or visit streaming.afa.net to sign up. Hannah's Heart, a half-hour program specifically designed to encourage Christian couples walking through infertility and miscarriage. This is not a show that's going to promise you a certain outcome, but this is a show that says however God answers your cry, we know that He's enough. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White each Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. You can find the podcast at AFR.net. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hey, it's Bible League International, and in this season of Easter, most of us can go to Mark 16 and read where the angel says to Mary, you're looking for Jesus, but he's not here. He's risen indeed. But you know, that's not true for most evangelical Christians in the region of Asia. They've never read those scriptures in their own Bible. Why? They don't own one because of corrupt governments and majority religions that do everything to stop the advance of the gospel. But it's also because of the mighty move of God. You know, this is where Christianity is growing fastest in the world, but we 
know at Bible League that as many as 9 of 10 Christians in the countries of China, India, and Malaysia have no access to the Bible. It is so important for the Bible to be made available in whatever languages that are needed by people to be able to have in their hand and to read it. This Easter season, in grateful response for your own Bible and your love for the Lord and His people in Asia, would you send a Bible at $5, $50 since 10? Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or give it sendbiblesnow.org. SendBiblesNow.org. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. With the 68 to 62 vote, the Minnesota House of Representatives passed a bill to make Minnesota a sanctuary state for so-called gender-affirming care for minors. The bill now goes to the Senate for consideration, and should it pass there, Democrat Governor Tim Waltz has already committed to sign it into law once it reaches his desk. This bill, should it become law, would allow Minnesota's governmental apparatus to refuse to comply with parents' efforts to rescue their children from permanent life-altering medication and or procedures if their child made it to Minnesota to request them. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Word of God speak. Welcome back. You're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. I'm finding myself in the midst of you beyond the music. You know, as Mark chapter 9 comes to a close, Mark 9, 49 and 50 are frankly fascinating. And I'm going to ask if maybe tomorrow we can spend some adequate time. In the meantime, please read Mark 9, 49 and 50. Those two verses are just rich with very important meaning. And uh, we're going to, Bert, could we... To do it justice, could we pick up on those two verses tomorrow? We sure can, 49 and 50 again. Let me read them first, and then you'll know what said, and then we'll go to Marty in just a minute. But let's read these two verses. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Listen, that every sacrifice couldn't help me remind you of Romans 12.1, but we'll get to that tomorrow, and Alex, hmm. I'm glad we can do that. Well, let's Amen. go to the phone lines, and we we'll go to Mississippi and go to Marty. Welcome, Marty. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, my call um, is concerning a question about the fifth seal in Revelation 6. It talks about the martyrs and Jesus telling them to basically rest for a while until the rest are also martyred with them? Or you think they're only talking about Messianic Jewish Jews there, or are they is that the culmination of all who are martyred at that time? Okay, thank you for your call, Marty. We're mm. in Revelation 6. Alex, have you found it yet? Yeah. You know, I tend to think that these are all the people martyred during the tribulation, or, or uh, let me, I don't know if I would say all, but a mixture of Jew and Gentile martyrs from during the tribulation. This begins at verse 9. He had opened the fifth seal, and I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Um, maybe it's majority Jewish believers that are martyred during the tribulation, but there's there's no doubt going to be some Gentile believers in there there as well. Would you agree? I agree. And the question is, how long? That question. Again, to to expand that, Marty, I'm just doing that. Uh, how long? Uh, we're wondering how long is it going to be before you come back, Lord Jesus? Habakkuk even talking about why. How long are you going to let this happen? Uh, you know, Simeon and Anna waiting at the temple. How long, you know? So those things are, I, I want to say this, and it, uh, we can't, we cannot determine God's timetable, you know? Mm-hmm. Even in the tribulation time, it demonstrates that, Alex, you know, the impatience yeah. of, of what we want. We want it when, right now. And so, Marty, I think it is the, I think it's more than just the Jewish. I, I think you're right, Alex. Okay, yes. thank you, brother, for your Let call. Let me give that number, folks. The number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. If you've got a Bible question, give us a call. 
Well, Frank has one, and he's from Arkansas. Welcome, Frank. Thank you. I listen to your show just about every day in my shop, and I love it. Uh, Today, Bert, whenever you opened up, you gave a run-through of the entry into Jerusalem culminating with the crucifixion next Sunday or the resurrection next Sunday. But you mentioned the crucifixion on a Friday. Two-part question. How did he spend three days in the grave if he was crucified Friday and arose Sunday or Saturday or Sunday, the first day of the week? And they were in Jerusalem for a high Sabbath. On what day did the high Sabbath fall? Okay. Thank you, Frank. We've discussed this several times. And and let me, I I thank you for your call because on Holy Week, I think it may be asked more than once. So we hope as many folks are listening as we can. Alex, let me ask you this question. Frank, listen, as far as the Jewish mindset and even our mindset, uh, you know, uh, part of a day can also many times refer to part, you know, the whole day. I'll give you an example. Like in September, uh, Jan and I are going to be out in Texas for the fishbowl retreat, and we're advertising it three days and two nights. Now, that doesn't mean that we have three 24 hours. It, it means we have part of Tuesday, all day Thursday, and then part of Wednesday. Now, Alex, that's three days and two nights. Does that help set this up for as the three days? Yeah. Um, he Okay, he was crucified at 3 o'clock on Friday. Um, so part of a day equals all of the day. And, you know, like in John 19.31, it says that it was uh, the, the day of preparation. Therefore, he had to be taken down from the cross. Whenever you see the phrase, the day of preparation, that's a Friday before the Saturday Sabbath. But let me say this, and I say it with all respect, and I, and I got to tell you, I spent several years. I had heard over and over and over and over there was a high Sabbath, and that was there was two Sabbaths that, that week. That's false. There wasn't. Uh, I have interviewed scholars, and Bert, even I was reading a Jewish commentary that said um, many evangelical Christians like to say that there were two Sabbaths the week Jesus was crucified. It's interesting, by the way, many even Jewish history books, they'll acknowledge Jesus was crucified, even crucified on a Friday. And I remember a year ago, I had a Jewish commentary saying that there really is no evidence in all of history for two Sabbaths in one week. Uh, and a high Sabbath, and so a lot of people will say Jesus was crucified on Wednesday or Thursday, but the point is that I, I realize in our Western 21st century mindset, three days and three nights, the question is, does that have to mean 72 hours? And it really doesn't, because they would refer to part of a day as all of a day, you know. So it's light, and he's buried, so he was... He was in the tomb, dark and light, on Friday. Obviously, with Saturday, there's no question. That was a full 24-hour period. Then on Sunday morning, he was in the grave. It was dark, and then the sun rose, and the tomb was empty. So um, if people want to believe that he was crucified on Thursday or Wednesday because in their mind they feel like it has to be 72 hours, that's fine. You can believe that. And if we get to heaven and, and... 99% 99% of the scholars that have ever lived and spoken to this issue were wrong. There's no problem. But really, I do think scripturally and historically and culturally, the way Jews reckoned time, I think the evidence is compelling that he was crucified on a Friday. Frank, thank you for your call. We really appreciate that. It's a good way to start this because it is that is a big question, and it is important. But again, as Alex said, for as our salvation is concerned, uh, he paid the price, rose again, ascended to the Father. We praise God for that. Let's go to Mississippi and talk to Lindsay. Welcome, Lindsay. Hey, thank you for taking my call. My question is, can people be demon-possessed today? I'll give you the one-word answer, yes. Now, I think there's qualification there is mental illness, and that is not connected with demon possession. 
but there are demon possessions and demon influences in people as well. Alex, go ahead. Yeah, they can be. Uh, Not a born-again believer. A born-again believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit. I really do think that, uh, and this is another topic for another day perhaps, I think our culture is very much demonized. And I I think um, in pushing away the restraining force of the church and just the the cultural awareness of God, I think not only uh, can people be demon-possessed, absolutely. Are some people demonized these days? Yes. And I think really... In the Western world that for a thousand years was protected by Christendom, I think we've opened up the door for demonic activity by pushing God out of the culture. I agree. And it is uh, more and more our, our society demon influenced greatly in so many ways. And uh, it, it we are seeing the ramifications of that. Lindsay, thank you for calling. Let's go to Misty. Misty in Iowa. Welcome. Hi, Bert and Alex. I've listened to you guys for a very long time. Um, And so I just have a a question and then a comment. So my question is, from John, the reading today, um, Jesus tells tells John not to rebuke those that are casting out the demons in his name. However, there's another part in the Bible that they cry out and say, Lord, Lord, we casted demons in your name. And he says, I do not know you. So I want to know what the difference is there, or is there some type of context that I'm missing? Okay. And the comment is, is simply that um, <laughs> uh, I'm from, uh, I'm a Yankee. And when I first started listening to you good fellas, uh, I, I wasn't quite sure about you. And I just wanted to <laughs> let you know that you've made me, uh, you've changed my mind and my heart about <laughs> and, and I just you. want to let you know I'm I'm thankful for Misty, you and thank you. You ought to see the three guys that's on our team. Uh, the the what it is, you, <laughs> you you would be amazed if you saw how far I've come in speaking. I uh, yesterday I yeah. told somebody I spoke proper redneck, and uh, so too. anyway, Je- uh, that, Misty, thank you. You've made our day. Go ahead, I, I Alex. Want to tell you, sister, hi, this is Alex, and you've made my day too. Because one of uh, one of the things we Southerners can do, we can take any word and add more syllables to it. We sure can. My mother could yeah. make Bert into a three syllable name, Bert, and I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> it, it, but uh, God bless you, and thanks for giving us a chance. You know, and. Uh, uh, listen, uh, 19 years ago, I, I was working at Focus on the Family in Colorado, and Dr. Dobson wanted me to be on the radio. And so some of the engineers, they said, oh, my goodness, he has such a southern accent. And this guy, he said, do you know you have a southern accent? And I was like, hey, what can I say? I'm from the south, you know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thanks, you know, for bearing with us in our attempt at proper English, an attempt that sometimes we achieve and a few days we don't. <laughs> right, Bert? <laughs> you got that right, even today. Go ahead, Alex. What? Okay, the thing about it, yeah. you know, about this uh, demon possession. Go ahead. Yeah, well, um, see, here, here's the thing, that the demon is interesting how it's almost like when Saul went to the witch of Endor, and the witch of Endor, who apparently had been kind of a, a faker, was shocked that here comes the ghost of Samuel, right? And it's like people dabble in spiritual things, and the demon says, look, Jesus, I know, but I don't know you. Bert, I think one of the big takeaways from that is that um, without the full armor of God, and you know, we can read there uh, about the full armor of God, uh, spiritual things are not to be trifled with. And, and let me just say about Satan and demonic activity, we're not to be afraid of it. Uh, and when necessary, in the name of Jesus, we can command believers do have authority in Jesus' name. But I don't think we're supposed to go looking for it either. Am I right? I Bert? think you're right. And again, uh, the whole idea is that relationship. And we do not look on the heart. Here's the bottom line. John was judging their motives. He was judging the interior. That's area only for God. We can judge actions. 
we can judge those words. But when it comes to looking deeper, Alex, that's God's business. And uh, John he was forbidding them uh, with that was overstepping the area by which God said for them. Hey, mm-hmm. we got time for at least one more call. And we go to Texas and talk to Jay. Welcome, Jay. Yes, I'm studying uh, the major and minor prophets. And a quick question I've I've been wondering uh, uh, who did uh, Isaiah see in the throne room in heaven? And who are these prophets seeing in their vision? And who is touching them and changing them and commissioning them? Are we talking about the pre incarnate Christ? Are we Mm. talking about uh, God the Father? which we'll see, uh, Revelation tells us at one point we will see his face as well. Jay, thank you for this awesome. That, hey, I'm worshiping Lord just over your question. <laughs> sir, that is a wonderful <laughs> question. Well said, my friend. Well, let me share with you. In Isaiah's case, he had the seraphim, cherubim, seraphim. I believe with all my heart that is God, just mm-hmm. more than the Father. I believe with all my heart that's them. And notice what to do. No matter where they look, they they fly around him all day, and they say, man, from this angle, he's holy. They fly a lot a little further. From this angle, he's holy. That's why through eternity, l- listen, through eternity, we will never be able to come to the end of God's holiness. He is Amen. complete holiness in every area of life, isn't he, Alex? The answer is in Isaiah 6, 5. You know, here's all these seraphim, holy, holy. And Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. Very famous verse. But he says, uh, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Uh, and do you know what? Um, it's only robed in the righteousness of Christ that we can really be in the presence of God. But, hey, i got to throw something out here, folks. If you look at Ma- regarding the day of the crucifixion, just for what it's worth, Matthew 27, 62. Okay, the day after the crucifixion, the day, and it says the day following the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees met together with Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that while the deceiver was alive, that's a slam against Jesus. He said, three days I'll rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure. So here's the thing. They're saying the day after the crucifixion, which was the Sabbath. Isn't that something? They weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, and yet they had a, a board meeting to find out how to further slander Christ and obstruct the spread of the gospel. Hey, listen, they could not keep him in the tomb. <laughs> they cannot. And praise God, he's overcome death and sin, our greatest enemies, and has given us the privilege of knowing him, seeking him, and serving him. Let me encourage you to do that. If you've never done that, let me give you one more number. It's 1-800-NEED-HIM. 1-800-NEED-HIM. There's some people there who will pray with you. They will help you to come to the realization that Jesus is Lord so that you might make him Lord of your life and have eternal life. Tell someone about exploring the Word, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.